What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. On the line right now, the rising star. I think he's just a star now at PFF. He studied tape on, I'm pretty sure, every single prospect in uh, the 2019 NFL draft. If you did not already follow him, follow him on PFF underscore Austin Gale. Um, Austin, good evening. How are you, sir? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm proud of you. You're moving on up. I think your title at PFF is next Chris Collinsworth. So that's cool. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder... Is there a sense in that, uh, not in a locker room, but in that uh, cubicle space that Mike Renner, Sam Monson, Steve Palazzolo, like they have to look over their shoulder at uh, Mr. Austin Gale climbing up the ladder? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, we we work as a team. Me, Mike, Steve, and Sam all work pretty closely together. And I think uh, we got, it's, it's almost, it's not that they're looking behind the shoulder, but maybe, maybe a fourth man, you know, wolf pack, wolf pack's getting bigger. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. It's been a lot of fun. Mike, Sam, Steve, you learned so much from just working next to them for as long as I have now, almost two years. And it's been really exciting. I've, I've loved every minute of it. And this past year, just, you know, just this year in the new promotion, it's been fantastic to work with them as much as I have. Is there anybody, because we, we don't see how a lot of these, I mean, obviously we don't see how teams differ inside their building on certain players and how they end up picking who they pick, but in the PFF offices, was there like one guy in the first round that split the office, split like you and Sam, split you and Steve? Was, <laughs> there, was there a big one that stands out to you? That's a good question. Guys, are you saying guy that went in the first round that were like, no way he should have been in there, or, and other people were saying he should have been, or just prospect differences overall? Um, I would say the former of that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, looking at the first round, you know, no one in the you know, PFF office was super high on Cleveland Farrell. We, we saw him as a second-round pick. That didn't really split the office a ton. Rashawn Gary as well, it was pretty uniform opinion for us. We did not see him as a first-rounder. I think there might, might have been some mixed opinions on Nikhil Harry. Some people liked him more in the office. Others didn't. Mike and I, not the biggest fans. I think Steve was a little bit more big on him because he's a contested catch guy, kind of like that attributes. But I think those are, those are where I'm thinking in terms of splits and stuff. I, I think Eric McCoy is another one that some people like. Some people didn't. Same with Garrett Bradbury. Some people loved him at center, but then others 
though loving him at center, understand positional value, understand that the best center in the NFL when you're giving him that second contract makes a fraction of what an offensive tackle will make. So taking a center in the first round, just it, it's a questionable move. I think from a positional value standpoint, I can get on board. But Garrett Bradbury is one hell of a player, a guy I had an opportunity to interview in this draft process, and I was super excited to see how smart he was and just how good he is as an athletic zone blocking center. Yeah, and it's interesting you brought up those names because ultimately, um, well, there's a difference between Garrett Bradbury, which is that um, the Vikings just, they're kind of, like like you said, it's a positional value issue down the line, but they're not thinking at that next contract for him because Kirk Cousins is making a lot of money right now and mm-hmm. their offensive line fell off a cliff last year. And we know with this team, when they have a good offensive line, the Vikings are very good. When they do not have a good offensive line, the Vikings are mediocre. <laughs> and... Kirk Cousins, I'm sure, was like, I'm not getting hit 9,000 times again this year, so could you please do something about it? Like, Matt Ryan, I'm sure, said the same thing um, to Dimitrov and Pioli and everybody, and that's why they had two uh, offensive linemen go in their first two picks. Like, I think that is part of it. But the Rashawn Gary and Nikhil Harry stuff is fascinating to me because I think they fall in that camp where, like, I remember my reaction of, like, oh, I guess I like this, and the only reason I like the Gary stuff to Green Bay is, like, oh, I just for some reason just subconsciously assume if green bay is taking you in that spot it's probably a good idea and then to kill harry where it's like you said you you didn't see it but then he goes to the pass and you're like well i guess i mean he's probably going to be a stud and you're like wait this isn't matching up so all the stuff that i saw and looked at it just it throw it out the window just because i give certain teams the benefit of the doubt i don't know i feel like that was my immediate reaction i'm like i I, like i don't know what to do with my hands kind of deal where you're just you're you you don't you give good organizations maybe too much of the benefit of the doubt there Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think the rashad gary pick to green bay the reason i like that maybe a little bit more than where if you went to another team is because they just signed two edge defenders and to darius smith and preston smith guys they paid a lot of money to i assume start therefore you look at rashad gary maybe he gets kicked inside opposite of michael mike daniels at that three four defensive end spot i like rashad gary so much more there than I do as a 4-3 defensive end or an outside linebacker in a 3-4. better inside. You look at his 2017 tape, his best year, in my opinion, his best reps, pass rush and run defense, are against guards. He's really good interior. He's very quick. He beats guards with short arms. He's able to dominate on the interior. It's when he plays edge that he struggles against good offensive tackles and even sometimes average offensive tackles. I think him going to Green Bay, in addition to their scouting department, obviously having some you know great prowess there and a lot of people please for how they draft, I think it's a good fit because he's able to go kick inside a little bit, learn that position, learn with Mike Daniels, a very good player we like, Kenny Clark, another good interior player. I think Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, and then you have Mike Daniels with the Smiths on the outside. That is an outstanding defensive line. I really like that. And I wasn't as high on Rashawn Gary as everyone else. You know, I think he's a second-round value in terms of you play him at edge. But inside, I start to like it a lot more. Okay. So there you go. You give him the benefit of the doubt. He fits Petten's scheme. Like I was listening to Move the Sticks today and DJ and Bucky just going through the drafts in like 30 minutes. And it was just, it was incredible just how much they could just pull off the top of their head. And I'm sure you're in the same category where it's just like what they were reciting for team by team and like how those guys fit certain cultures. And this is what's so interesting about the Raiders stuff. And I think this is an interesting parallel where the Raiders, a team you're very familiar with, uh, had a very interesting first round <laughs> for sure. Um, I believe you like their later picks, especially like that 43 year old from Clemson, Hunter Renfro. Um, 
I, I, I thought it was interesting because their rationale behind it was that like Mayock and Gruden are cleaning out this locker room, and part of the stuff that we don't see is that like Jacobs, Farrell, and um, who's the other dude? Uh, who did, who's the other dude they drafted? The safety Abram. Jonathan Abram. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that these three just fit the culture that they want, like the blue collar, hardworking, um, just guys they want leading that next wave of the locker room and just kind of transitioning. But then uh, the point that was made was like, uh, apparently multiple people tweeted at him, uh, DJ, um, that like, then why do you trade for Antonio Brown in the same offseason? Like, if you're trying to reestablish this culture and like lead with these young guys and these tone setters um it's kind of weird to trade for antonio brown at the present time and um let them be around him and just how that all works and i i don't know i think it's fascinating what did you make of their first round because i think they got too much shit and the giants i mean the giants got a lot of shit but i just i still don't think i don't look at the raiders first round or even their whole draft as more of a head scratcher and that's being generous uh, with the with the Giants picks. Is that fair? I, I don't know. I think the Raiders and Giants drafts are similar in that they're interesting. Maybe some reaches. You could argue, argue reaches in the first and second round for both of those teams. However, I think when you look at the Raiders draft, yes, they drafted quality, high character, very high effort players all throughout the draft. High character, high effort players. But in the first four picks, those top 40 picks, they drafted those guys a few picks before I would have drafted them, in my opinion, in Pro Football Focus's opinion as well. Every player they picked was lower on our draft board than where they were selected for Oakland. Cleveland Farrell, second-round value. Jonathan Abram, fourth-round value. You look at um, Josh, Josh Jacobs, obviously not going to be in our first round given how much we understand the running back position and positional value there. You look at Travion Mullen, not our favorite cornerback, 160th on our board. These guys were high-character guys. I'm not arguing that, and I'm not arguing they're good football players. I think they're great football players. I just think the value is not ideal. I mean, a, a Big Mac is as good as it's going to get. I love, you know, you love a Big Mac, but you're not going to pay $10 for it, and you have to understand that. And I think part of the draft, as much as it is player evaluation, understanding who's good and who's not, it's also understanding who, where are people going to get taken? Where is Cleveland Farrell going to get taken? Because even if the trade-down opportunities weren't ideal, knowing that that player you want isn't as high on the consensus board in the NFL or even the consensus media board can sometimes be a good benchmark or something to look at, you have to try and trade back because I think you take those players maybe ahead before they were going to go, it starts to not make a ton of sense. And I think that's where we were with that. I think they picked good football players. They just reached on a lot of them to fit that character mold. I think they could have traded back more than they did to get those same guys, but at a better value. You know what it sounds like to me? What they did is just like bizarro Chris Ballard. Where like Chris Ballard trades down and he get like he's just I don't even like who he he got Paris Campbell. He I mean Darius Leonard was just the steal of the draft last year. And you go up and down the list, Naheem Hines I like a lot and um I don't think he drafted Marlon Mack, but then you have Quentin Nelson and just you go up and down the list where it's like he will trade back when he knows that he can get certain guys later and he he's just really good at understanding positional value and all that other stuff and just getting um Lake Hooker and all those different guys but he I think is good at reading the board and like he traded back in this one and got a physical corner out of the temple and was just like nope we're gonna punt on the first round like the Raiders could have done the same thing like you're saying and just gotten all those guys later like they just they they kind of followed Chris Ballard's uh, blueprint of like these guys um, would be great. Like if the Raiders drafted all these guys, they didn't have any 
first three round picks or whatever and they just got these or maybe starting from the third round up and this is their haul you're like wow great value third round on great work um but they started in the first so it's just like uh they skipped a step i feel like with the the ballard approach no absolutely and i think obviously it's impossible to know what all 32 teams are going or 31 other teams are going to do there's no it's not crazy to think that the very next pick could have been clean and you don't know what teams want to do. However, you have to take the best guess. You have to take the best guess given all the information you've gathered. You have to think Mike Mayock and John Gruden are more in the know than the media. There's a lot of the media never marking Cleveland Farrell that high. Consensus board across multiple media platforms. I saw the highest he was, was I think around 15. And then also his consensus ranking, I think was 21st. You start to take that evidence into account. Mike Mayock works the phones to understand where certain guys are going. John Gruden works his connections. And I think with all that information, I just can't imagine them sitting there gathering all that saying, yeah, he's probably going to go in the top five. I just don't see it. I think you think about that, you see it, you take a chance. You grab an extra pick, maybe an extra first rounder next year or a second rounder next year to move back a few slots and then take your guy then because then you get value, you get another pick, and then picks that they need because the roster is where it is now. They need more players than they do, you know, game changers given how far they are away from competing with that division. I think it just made more sense for them to trade back and try and gather more picks with the players they had targeted. Trevion Moore, I think he could have traded back. Jonathan Abram, he could have traded back. Josh Jacobs, given to where some GMs value running backs, maybe you had to take him there, but I still don't agree with the value there from a positional value standpoint. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think I'm trying to think of who, if it wasn't the Raiders, was there anyone else in the first round that would have done it? Like the Ravens, maybe? I don't know. When, when you saw the Eagles trade up, you're like, wow. The Eagles yeah, the are going Eagles, to trade yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. The Eagles are going to trade up to 22 and take a running back. Absurd. But no, they take the best, one of the best pass protecting offensive tackles in, the, in this class. And Andre Dillard, he has the most experience in true pass sets, played extremely well. His pressure to allow was one of the best in the FBS this past year. That's good value. Good left tackles are hard to find. If you can get one on a four year deal with a fifth year option, it is outstanding value, especially where they got him. You look at Josh Jacobs. Not as outstanding a value. When you can pick up guys like Kron Higdon out of Michigan, Divine and Zigmo out of Nebraska, undrafted, or you look at Daryl Henderson way later in the draft. Look at oh my god, all the these Darryl other Henderson guys. Stuff. God, it, he's going to be so good. Exactly. I, I think you look at the running back position, and every year we say this, but every year we see running backs drafted high. There are so many good guys every year. All running backs are good. We say that around the office. All running backs are good. Look at the AAF. There's so many running backs that were having success because all running backs are good because it's an easy position as long as you're an athlete. You have to be an athlete and you have to react here somewhat, but it's not as mental a position as pretty much every other position outside of kicker and punter. All other positions are reactionary positions, very based on skill and understanding of the game. Running back, you're big and you're athletic and you're fast. You can make some plays, and you saw that in the AAF. You see that in every draft, and you see that in the NFL. Philip Lindsay. Matt Breda, every year those those guys, and I think the Raiders need to take that into account, understand that positional value, and get a guy that has a fifth-year option that is very good and will get a lot of money after, after it's all said and done. Josh Jacobs is not going to make a ton of money when it's all said and done on his second-year contract. It's other players at other positions that will do so. Yeah, um, but well, I guess we'll have to see what happens with the Raiders. Um, do you buy... 
uh, Dave Gettleman's assessment that um, Daniel Jones would not have been there at 17 and that there are multiple teams um, who would have jumped on him. And most people, I think, were speculating the Broncos and somebody else, but um, maybe the Redskins, but I don't think that's true either because... And also, we're going to talk about the Redskins at some point, but uh, not yet. Um, do you buy that? It's tough to speculate. I think there's reason to believe that John Elway would have liked... Um, Daniel Jones where he was. I think there's reasons to believe that the Redskins might have went Daniel Jones' way. Of course, it's speculation. I don't know. We didn't have that kind of value on Daniel Jones, so I think it would be easy to go off Pro Football Focus's board and say no. He would have still been there because he's not that talented. He's a third-round value in our opinion. However, I don't know. You know, it's tough to say. It was surprising that the Giants took him at 6, and I don't I think it would have been surprising if the Denver Broncos took him at 10, but not, neither of those options are out of this world crazy. I think like I said, speculation, but I think there's reason, you know, talking with Mike Grenner earlier in the week or, or late last week, he's saying, you know, Denver might have taken him at 10, maybe not traded back. You know, you look at Washington, might have taken him over Dwayne Haskins. We don't know. You know, it's, quarterback evaluation is so much different. It's not like you want to take the next best guy after he's gone. You know, you want to take your guy every time. It's not like the second best quarterback we might as well take him. It's like, no, if we love this QB, we're going to take him. And I think you could have saw that with Denver or Washington. So what do you think he saw in film where he's, he speaks so glowingly? Or do you think it was just like <laughs> Eli and Peyton made the call? Or Peyton made the call. The shadow GM of all NFL teams, by the way, folks. He struck again here by just being like, oh, he worked with my guy Cutcliffe. He, he's going to be the guy. Like Peyton Manning making another GM move. It sounds like he saw three series at the Senior Bowl and fell in love. <laughs> but, I mean, jokes aside, Daniel Jones, you know, he's, a, he's a tall quarterback coming from a great system. He had the worst supporting cast in college football. I think you can say that objectively. Look, his offensive line was terrible. He had the most drop, highest drop percentage of any quarterback in this class. He did not have a lot of help. And I think Rick Renner said it best when he said, GM's looking to grab a QB, eat that excuse for breakfast. Didn't have a lot of help. We can build around him. We can make him better. We have the coaching. He just needs a chance. All of that stuff, that's how he goes number six. You know, he's a tall guy. He looks the part, and to use a traditional cliche, he looks the part, good coaching, good head on his shoulders, all that stuff went into that number six overall pick. Because if you look at accuracy, not that great. You look at his play from a clean pocket, not good. Pressure, not good. Actually looking at his play across a large sample size, not three series at the Senior Bowl, not good compared to Will Greer, Dwayne Haskins, obviously Kyler Murray. Even Ryan Stanley, you look at some of the other quarterbacks, there's a little bit more value in those guys. Can he be good in the NFL? Yes, but it's going to take a lot of work. From what we've seen on tape, it doesn't look like he's the guy that elevates his supporting cast. He needs a good supporting cast to be good. And with Saquon Barkley and others, maybe the Giants have it, but it's going to be tough. It wasn't a blessing in disguise for Dwayne Haskins to fall, because I think it was. I I really love him in, in Washington. Oh, no. I do as well. I think he was the number 10 overall player on our board, largely because of positional value. Maybe not the 10th best player with positional value excluded, but at quarterback, as good as he is, where you can project him, a one-year starter that has the accuracy he had at the short and intermediate level, he was one of the most accurate college football players you know, in this last year. And you, you make the comparison to Sam Bradford. At Oklahoma, not the biggest arm, wasn't a great deep ball thrower, but from you know 15 yards out, he, had, he was money every single time, which makes him what? A good thrower on third down, a good passer in the red zone, and that's where you need to be good in the NFL. Yes, it's great to stretch the ball deep, make the big plays, find Marquise Brown deep down the field. But if you're accurate and sustainable accuracy from a clean pocket for at the short and intermediate levels, you win on third downs and you win in the red zone. If you can win in those areas, you can be a good quarterback in the NFL. And he gets to learn from 
a guy who just excelled at this all the time and also who had the wasn't it one year alex smith had like the best deep ball uh completion percentage or something <laughs> a couple of years ago was that two yeah. years ago yeah so it was two years ago with the chiefs and it was largely because tyree kill was wide open all the time <laughs> deep down the field tyree kill makes you a better deep ball thrower and i think you can say the same with dwayne haskins you get him a guy that can burn he'll be able to fit it into bigger windows deep down the field he's not a tight window thrower deep down the field like a Baker Mayfield is, but he's a guy that can get it to down the field. He's not, he doesn't have a noodle arm. He can get it there. He's just not as accurate throwing that far down the field. When you have a burner, a guy that can create great separation deep down the field, like a Tyreek Hill, I'd say even like a Marquise Brown, Andy Isabella, he's going to get it there. And I think that's exciting for Washington to try and add that piece so he can have the big plays without having the great deep throw accuracy. Who would you be more nervous about throwing out um, in, in the NFC East this year, Haskins or Jones? Oh, I am way more nervous about Daniel Jones. The Jones floor is bad because he's not accurate at the short, intermediate, or deep levels. In the red zone and third down, he's going to struggle. He's similar in accuracy standpoint to Christian Hackberg. He's not that bad. I know oh, I threw God. that name out there. I know I threw that name out there, but he's not as accurate. I mean, he's in a similar ballpark from an accuracy standpoint as the Connor Cook and Christian Hackenbergs of the world because he's just he doesn't make the clean pocket throws. He's not on target. The ball placement isn't there for him. And that is a hard skill to learn, especially when you're thrown into the fire on a New York Giants team that no longer has Odell Beckham Jr. is forcing the ball to Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. It's not going to be easy. And that offensive line isn't great. I know it got better with Will Hernandez, but it's still not great. He's not in an ideal situation yet. So you could see him struggle very early, specifically in 2019. God, Christian Hackenberg. Oh, I feel bad now. <laughs> Jesus. Giants fans, it's it's going to get better. At least you you have a great running back and can go 4-12 and 12 this year. Um, DeAndre Baker, though, love him. He's going to be really good for them in that defense and become Patrick Peterson 2.0. That'd be good. That's oh, something. absolutely. I think they had to trade up for him, so that kind of cuts into the value of that pick. True. He was the number 16 player on our board. Getting at 30 overall is good value. He's a position, great positional value. Corners are hard to find. You're not going to find DeAndre Bakers in day two or day three. I think it was a great scoop for them. I think DeAndre Bakers is a very physical corner. He'll get caught at times in the NFL. He's going to have to learn. and You can't just push people down like you can in college down the field. But if you can hone in that physicality, draw back a little bit, he's going to be very productive. This is that hasn't allowed a touchdown in two years. He doesn't allow deep yeah. passes. He, he's great in zone coverage, very instinctive. Sorry, I don't even know what word I was going with there. Very instinctive. <laughs> and I think that uh-huh. instinct and that physicality, that aggression is a great thing. All great things to have at corner. I think that's a great pick at 30. Um, we have to talk about the Falcons <laughs> or I'm going to forget. Um, a lot of people didn't like him. I saw a lot of C minus D plus for their draft. What do you make of their draft, especially going offensive line in the first two picks? I'm never going to get mad at a team for investing in the trenches, but where they pick those guys, I don't feel really good about it. I mean, Chris Lindstrom, a very good guard, could finish this thing as the best guard in this class, but as high as they took him, I don't love the positional value. Then to trade up as big as they did, that kind of was a big leap to get Kayla McGarry, who wasn't as high on our board as it was, obviously, the Atlanta Falcons from a tackle standpoint. He's tall. He's a bully. Great story. But his his arms are very short. I'm not a guy that harps on short arms. Look at Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard. Those guys got short arms, and they're good. But his arms are short, and it shows up on tape. It doesn't show up on Dillard's tape. It doesn't show up on Williams' tape. You wouldn't guess. Those guys have short arms, but it shows up on McGarry's. And it's weird that he does have short arms, given how tall this guy is, but he's short arms, and when some guy long arms him or tries to bull rush him, tries to get in his chest, he gets beat. 
You don't see that with other tackles in this class to trade up for him and get him there. It's an interesting move. I think he could develop into something great. He has the work ethic. He has the character. But again, that value, I don't know how I feel about it given what they had to trade up to do and where they select them. Is it a good scheme fit, though, for Dirk Cutter and Mike Malarkey? I think so. I, I think he'll fit in okay. that scheme. I think if they want to commit to the run or establish the run, get back to the running game and, and use the backs that they have and get Devontae Freeman back up and running, it makes more sense than if they want to throw the ball all the time. But Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and, and Calvin Ridley, I don't know if you want to be an offense that's going back to establishing the run. You want to throw the football as much as you can. Those guys are very, very good. Keep those guys upright. You know, or just keep Matt Ryan upright and feed the ball to Julio Jones. I don't think you need to establish the run and put the ball away from your best players to be successful as the Atlanta Falcons. I think you can be successful at the highest EPA per dropback with Matt Ryan and, and go after it through the air because that's where he's going to need to be. And Keelan McGarry and Chris Lindstrom, okay pass blockers, but they need to be better in order for the, the Matt, Matt Ryan to real, really feel comfortable. Uh, okay. Well, that's not great. Um, not the most inspiring. <laughs> um at least they didn't take an edge rusher. Like I would at least be okay with them swinging and missing on these offensive linemen versus taking another edge rusher and going down mm-hmm. that rabbit hole one more time. God, especially after picking up Vic Beasley's option. Like all of that would just drive me absolutely insane. Um, the Steelers, who I still think is winning the AFC North this fall. What a draft. Trading up for Devin Bush, getting their Ryan Shazier replacement, and then drafting Antonio Brown 2.0, and a guy that you are very familiar with. Um, what did you make of their draft? Is it as gr- is it as good as advertised? Did they just really knock this one out of the park? Absolutely. First three picks of this draft for Pittsburgh were all home runs. I loved every single pick. The trade up for Bush, you have to second guess it. It's not as big of a home run, in my opinion, as the other picks they made. Devin Bush is a great player. At least you trade up for a great player that can affect the pass. He's a great blitzer. And he's a great in coverage. He's very athletic. He's the linebacker you need in today's NFL. He's not. He doesn't have weight concerns, but he's athletic and still fast. That's huge. Devin White and Devin Bush were the two best linebackers in this draft. And after them, you'd have to skip four or five beats before you even mention another guy. There's such a big gap between Bush, White, and the other guys in this class, and that's why you didn't see a ton of them go after those guys very soon after. Devin Bush is a great player. You traded up to get him, but I like him a ton. And then you look at the other picks they made, Deontay Johnson. Oh, my goodness. He's been comped. Me and Mike have comped him to Chato Jocinto, Antonio Brown. Mike says the best. He says he just moves differently, and then you turn on the tape and you see it. He's a great route runner, very creative, very deceptive. And he's a little bit smaller. You notice that, but he can win outside against press coverage because he's got a great release package. His releases are absurd. Watch the tape. Watch even the broadcast film. They'll zoom in on his routes a ton, and it's just special. You watch the Miami game, Miami, Florida in 2017. This guy did work in the red zone. He was just unguardable. He could run a whip. When he thought it was a slant, he could run all these different things. He's an outstanding route runner. I can't say enough good things about him. Then you go after that. Here comes Justin Lane, one of the top cornerbacks in this draft. He has flaws. He can get a little physical down the field. He's got the fastest guy in his class. He's long, he's quick, and he's athletic. This is a guy that you put him in Pittsburgh's team. I think he can have success. I didn't love the Benny Snell pick after that, but I loved those first three picks. And with that, you win with your first three picks. You win with top 100 picks, and they won for sure. Yeah, and they were another team where um, uh, Bucky made the point of just like, this is their culture. Like every pick was like, oh, this is Steelers DNA. This is Steelers. This is Steelers. Oh, more Steelers. And like even the corner picks, like the kind of corners they like and just up and down the board. Um, they just they got back to who they were. And it's just 
we're all going to be like, oh, James Washington, Thompson, and uh, <laughs> Juju are just running all over the place, and nobody can cover these three. And uh, Big Ben's got a little bit left, and James Conner's great. And Benny Snell like fits that mold too. Of even if you don't love Benny Snell, you're just like, uh, he feels like a Pittsburgh Steelers running back, like Stephen Ridley <laughs> or something like that. He's just he's just going to fit that mold. Um, they just they keep adding guys who fit the Pittsburgh Steeler way. So I, I like seeing teams that are able to figure that out. And also like they were just, it was, they, they were put in a bad spot with the Shazier stuff. There's nothing you can do about that. And um, for them to be able to replace him this off season, I thought that was, that was a nice little story. Um, Arizona, they decided, you know what? Um, Kyler, great pick. Um, however, when it comes to protecting Kyler Murray, something that they did not do for Josh Rosen. Um, this team was like, no, thank you. We'll, we'll get, we'll get to that later. I, I just, I can't believe we're not talking about that more just because of how historically bad that offensive line last year was. And for the, to really not even trade up for somebody like even like the, the who we talked about or just get like Dalton Risner or whoever like there's just there were guys that could have moved up for or done something like I I could not believe that the team that started Andre Smith and Justin Pugh and a rookie center and everything else last year is giving Kyler Murray just the same kind of putrid shithole offensive line again I don't understand yeah, they really did not draft for need there. They did not reach on need. They were not forcing need. They went best player available. And fortunately enough for Pro Football Focus, they went best player available, and a lot of that matched up with who we thought the best player available was at that time. Kyler Murray was the number one overall player on our draft board when we first made it. After that, they took our highest-graded corner in the PFF era in Byron Murphy at 33. After that, they take Andy Isabella, our highest-graded receiver in the you know, PFF era, then take that down, the guy that was in our top 50. Those first four picks, so they did not feel need, are great players. And as Steve says it all the time, draft good players. Need comes later. You can fill needs down the road. If you get Kyler Murray, those type of players, Byron Murphy, Andy Isabella, all these guys become great players will find the offensive line down the road when the value matches up, whether that's in free agency, whether that's a next year's draft, it starts to make sense. You're drafting these guys to be good for a long time. This built, this team is far away from being good. And if you have any quarterback that can play with a bad offensive line, it's Kyler Murray. This guy has the best break-the-pocket mobility I've seen in a very long time. Look at Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. They're both mobile quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson's better in the read-option scheme. He's better when it's design runs. Kyler Murray is a freak when the plane breaks down. He is so creative. He is so good when things don't go the right way. And I think Arizona, things aren't going to go the right way a ton. I think it's not going to be easy with an offensive line they do have, but when things don't go the right way, Kyler Murray is special. I know it may be not going to be great in year one. You don't see them chasing a ring in year one, but you've got all those good players now. Maybe you find an offensive lineman for the agency or the draft next year, and this team really starts to shape up because they have a ton of good players on this roster now that are developing and playing well. Okay. Um, why did everyone just assume that McCall Hardman is just going to replace Tyreek Hill? Like I uh, like McCall Hardman, but like, I just, the Tyreek Hill stuff, gross, never should play in the NFL again. He shouldn't be on the roster at this point. I don't understand why he's still on the roster, but like, I just don't think people understand like how valuable he was to this group the last couple of years. He, like you talked about like him just being wide open on deep balls for Alex Smith and then what he was doing with Patrick Mahomes where they just targeted him over and over and over again and he was just open and he was just he that dude is just a freak of nature and like what he did to the Colts in that playoff game is like illegal in 19 different states like it's just I don't I, uh, McCall Hardman might be great but like 
Tyree kills. I just I feel like players who are that productive that quickly and just basically uncoverable are are a dime a dozen. Is that uh, is that fair? Do you actually think Hardman has that level of upside? No, I, I agree with you 150. percent I think Nicole Hardman has a similar skill set, and that's why people jump to kind of what I call lazy analysis from that. He's yeah. his replacement. He's going to be just as good. Tax Mahomes will make him at hill hill level. No. Nicole Harmon's good. I think he can be great. I like Nicole Harmon more than other guys did, but he's not going to be Tyreek Hill in year one, and he might not ever be what Tyreek Hill was in his prime. I don't think Tyreek Hill should play in the NFL again. I don't know if I can say he won't. I hope he doesn't. He shouldn't play in the NFL again. But he was great when he was on the field, one of the best receivers we've seen at Pro Football Focus, a mismatch weapon, a crazy deep target. Nicole Harmon, those are massive shoes to fill, shoes that we've really only seen from Tyreek Hill. Yes, he's good. He has a similar skill set. He can win in the slot with speed. He can maybe play a little bit outside. He's a great deep threat, very skilled in that regard, but he's no Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was special on the field, and I don't think he can recreate that in year one. I don't even know if he can recreate that in year four. He needs to get so much better as a route runner, develop a bigger catch radius, somehow become more athletic in order to be Tyreek Hill level, and I just don't see that with him. Yeah, it's like replacing Chipper Jones with Chris Johnson years ago, where it's like, oh, he got the replacement, he fits. And it's like, ah, no, he had a good year in Houston before that, but um, Chipper Jones is uh, one of the best uh, hitters of all time, so probably not. He's probably not going to be him. No, and you look at the you know like Tyree Kill, he wasn't a highly drafted guy, but he wasn't highly drafted because of his off-field concerns. Right. It wasn't because he wasn't good. At Oklahoma State, before all of that broke down, I was watching him that year, and it was absurd to see how good he was. He would have been a very highly drafted player if everything went right for him off the field. It didn't. He transferred to, I think, what was West Alabama, A&M, one of those smaller schools, and ended up going way later in the draft than he should have been because of those off-field concerns, because of the transfer he had to make. But Nicole Harmon went later in the draft because he's not a finished product. He's not a skilled, polished route runner. His catch radius isn't as big. He's not as good of a jumper. This guy is good, but he's not going to be Tyreek Hill. I think it's very easy to say, wow, they're similar. I think he's going to replace him. It's going to be great. No, that's just that's you just looking at it and saying, maybe he could be just as good, but I really don't think he's going to be as good as Tyreek Hill, at least not now and not for a while. Do you think, so we, we all make the jokes about Chad Jackson and Aaron Dobson. Who was the other one? I was thinking about the other day. Um, who was the other receiver they drafted? Wasn't it the same draft? There was someone else. It was Aaron Dobson, and who was the other receiver they drafted? And we were like, oh, they're going to they're gonna do it. They're actually going to finally hit on one of these guys, and it turned out not to be either of them. Who was the other one that year? I can't even think of it. I'm not sure. <laughs> God, I don't remember who it was. It was like Aaron Dobson and someone else. Um, is, it even, is it even Aaron Dobson? I don't know. Maybe I'm combining Aaron Donald. And, uh, <laughs> no, it is Aaron Dobson. Okay, I was right. Um, but yeah, he was a round two pick, um, out of Marshall. Yeah. He was the Marshall guy, but they drafted someone else, but they've, the, the point is they've had a, uh, a long history of not knowing how to identify wide receiver talent in the NFL draft. And then they were like, you know what? We're going to do this because I, they don't have any re- tight ends. They just traded another one to Seattle. Um, they have Austin Severian Jenkins, I guess. Um, we'll see what happens there, but um, do they just like with Gronk on, they're like, okay, I guess we're just going to be, we're, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go back the other way. We're just going to invest in a bunch of receivers underneath stuff with Edelman. And, uh, now Nikhil Harry, who, like you said, at the beginning of this podcast does a lot of this kind of stuff that fits what they want to do anyway with Tom Brady and that offense. But, um, do you like the pick? Do you think it's actually something that will work out and he actually will be a Patriots wide receiver that they drafted themselves that becomes like an all pro type? 
Hmm, I, I think he, he's good. He's good on, underneath stuff. He can play in the slot, be your screen guy, be your drag guy. But I don't see him separating downfield. Uh, I think he's a good contested catch guy. You saw that with that absurd one-handed grab he had down the field. His ball skills are good, but you can't separate in the NFL and you can't separate deep down the field on 10-plus, 15-plus yard throws. Your value is limited. I mean, if you want to draft the guy in the first round that he's your screen guy and your crosser guy, you can find that anywhere. You can find that on day three. You can find that almost undrafted. You need guys like the J.J. Arcega White Sons, even D.K. Metcalf, that can really separate at you know the deep levels of the field, the 10-plus, 15-plus yard throws. I will say this, if there's anything that's going to get the best out of them, it's the Patriots. Because one thing that they do well, I mean, they've had some hits and misses in the draft. They know what the player they're drafting is good at, and they know what he's bad at. They do not try to misuse players, and that's what's outstanding about the Bill Belichick era. They bring in guys knowing what to expect of them, setting reasonable expectations, hiding their flaws, showing off their strengths. Look at Malcolm Brown, the defensive interior they drafted at Texas. I think in the bottom of the first round, they usually draft in the bottom of the first round. He's a great run defender, not a great pass rusher. They used him as such. Wasn't a late down guy. Barry played early in the you know early in the in the downs and stopped the run well. Played well. Didn't sign him to a second contract because they don't need to pay him that much money and moved on. I think they know what they're doing when they draft guys. They know the weaknesses that they're bringing on, but they also know how to get the best out of guys. I think they're going to get the best out of Nikhil Harry too. At least I remember the guy you were mentioning was it Malcolm Mitchell. No, Malcolm, I remember. Malcolm, that, that he would have been great if he could have stayed healthy. Like, his whole oh, stuff man. is just injuries. Like, that dude just, his, his body was just destroyed. 100%. And I'm looking up Josh freak. Boyce. It wasn't him. I don't know who it was now. This is driving me nuts. Maybe I'm just misremembering that there was someone that I'm, I don't know. But this is really going to bother me for a while. Because I thought there was someone else that year that they had on that roster. The 2000, was it 13 team? I think it was the 13 team. But anyway, um, I, I also just learned by going down this quick rabbit hole. Jordan Richards, the worst safety of all time. Oh. Um, just if you only watched uh, Falcons games this year, um, he went second round in 2015. Yeah, he was a second round Stanford, pick. I remember that. Yeah, it was bad. <sighs> it was not good. <laughs> Trey Flowers, fourth round pick that year. Shaq Mason, fourth round. God, we don't. Do we know what we're doing? Like, I don't understand. How does that happen? How does Jordan Richards go in the second round? I, w- I wish I knew. I think they made great picks with Shaq Mason, and Trey Flowers down the road, but. It did make a ton of, ton of sense to Jordan Richards. I think Bill Belichick would admit he missed on that one. I'd love to have a conversation with him and see what, what do you think you missed with him? Why, did, why didn't he pan out? And maybe it's something off the field or in the locker room or at practice. You know, you look at guys that maybe don't work hard or whatever that is, stuff that you can't really see on tape unless you're talking to these guys and talking to coaches. Maybe that's where it came from. But Bill Belichick missed on that one. I think he would admit it himself. I think while we're on the Patriots, a guy I want to bring up is Nancy State, Jacoby Myers, a guy that the Pats picked up on drafting. Kimbrel Tompkins. Job. That's it. It's Kimbrel yes, Tompkins. That is it. That is it. That is it. But, but, oh, oh you, my God. Go- I feel so much better now. I knew there was someone else. I knew it was two of those dudes who people were talking themselves into. Okay. Kimbrel yeah, Tomp- right. Tompkins. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Well, with Jacoby uh, Myers, undrafted guy, NC State, very good route runner, played very well in the slot. He liked what he offered in the slot. He didn't create a ton of separation. He, he's not a fast guy. He's not sudden, but he's creative deceptive with his route running. He sells routes very well. Very good out receiver. He catches everything. Very good hands. The guy I talked to him when I was looking at him was Jason Avant. Jason Avant didn't create a ton of separation. He wasn't the guy that was going to burn you deep, but he caught everything and found ways to get open in zone coverages by recognizing that and in man coverage by recognizing when he's off, trying to sell deep when it's a short route. I think Jacoby Myers, if he can find his way or force his way onto this pass roster, could do some damage maybe in a year or two. I think that's an exciting 
matchup. I think the Pats get the best out of him if they can find a way to fit him on the 53. Yeah, um, it should be interesting to see what happens there. Um, another team that's gotten a little bit uh, interested in the wide receiver market because they, if you looked at their roster going into this season, Dante Pettis was the only guy that they had invested any early draft capital on. And the 49ers went out. They got Jalen Hurd, who I listened to someone talk about him today, compared to Le'Veon Bell with the way you wow. can use him because he did start as a running back at Tennessee, people what? forget. And... Yes. yes. Levy on uh, Bell? That is absurd. Yes. I could not, yes. I cannot agree. I cannot agree. <laughs> but I ahead, think so. the idea was that, like, because when he goes onto the field, you don't really know what you're going to get with him because he could run the football. They could put him in for run packages. They can put him in for uh, blocking. They can put him in for catching. They can do whatever, like end arounds. He can just do anything. Or it's like he was described as a Swiss Army knife. And I thought that was interesting. Ow. But they. I can tell you're not as high on uh, Jalen Hurd, but they it wasn't just him. And now you already have George Kittle in the fold. You have this three running back monster now, um, bringing Tevin Coleman and a couple other guys into the fold. Matt Breda, friend of the pod from both of us, who we just we're all about Matt Breda on this podcast. A good offensive line is going to get better. Jimmy Garoppolo is getting healthy. And then um, uh, Debo Samuel as well. Like, they suddenly just have weapons all over the place. Did you like them investing so much in their receiving core? 100%. Debo Samuel, where they took him, was fantastic. I think Debo Samuel, I'll say this, is a better comp to Le'Veon Bell than Jalen Hurd. Very similar size. He played running back a little bit. He took snaps out of the backfield. He's built like a running back. And my comp for him was Ty Montgomery. He looks a lot like Ty Montgomery, plays like Ty Montgomery, can win on underneath routes, is a fantastic mover after the catch, forced a ton of missed tackles with South Carolina. He's a beast in the red zone, very deceptive, very creative route runner. I think he's one of the best route runners in this class. I think you get him with Kyle Shanahan and a creative offense. Debo Samuel can do some damage. He's a guy I like moving into the backfield. He's a guy I like on end rounds. Jalen Furter, he played running back, but the dude's 6'5". The dude's like borderline, I think 6'4", 6'5". He's huge. He maybe shouldn't be in the backfield a ton, even though he played it. There's a reason he moved away from that. He's a five-star recruit coming out. His high school tape is absurd. I think he scored like 30 touchdowns in a single season in high school. This guy was absurd as a running back. But he should have always been playing this receiver position because I like Jalen Hurd a lot. I think he's not a polished route runner, but his athleticism shows up on tape. His change of direction is better for what you consider with his size. You look at some of the routes he's able to do on underneath stuff, a guy his size should not be running slants like he runs slants and out and, and curls. This guy could cut a lot better than uh, you know other players, other receivers of his size. I think you keep him as your big slot and use Debo Samuel as your creative gadget because those that's I think where it's better fit. Comes both players give Jimmy Garoppolo a ton to do. I think you give you give Jalen Hurd that six five frame in the red zone. He can be outstanding, and then you got Debo Samuel underneath doing creative stuff too. This is a very two very exciting moves for San Francisco, largely because Kyle Shanahan is creative. He can get the best out of them. George Kittle, like he did last year, it's going to be exciting. I think those guys with Dante Pettis is a very exciting receiving core that can do a lot of damage and do a lot of things, throw a lot of things at you. Thumbs up, thumbs down, Houston Texans. Man, they, they, I mean, when when you you know you talk about need. Yeah, you know, Houston Texans needed offensive line, and they draft the guys that probably won't be good for a year or two. Coming out of small schools, Titus Howard and Max Sharping need help. They, I mean, they need help. They need polish. They need to get better. They need to face NFL competition, the speed of NFL competition. I just don't see them using those offensive tackles. So I think you obviously see they try to address need using those offensive tackles, those offensive linemen early. 
you know, because they're just not going to be great this next year. I think it's a year two, a year three play. I don't, I don't think it's a full thumbs down. I think they made some good selections, but those two picks, when you had Dalton Reisner on the board, other offensive linemen that have at least played against you know power five competition, it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense for me. I, I see why they took them, but I, I think I can't do a full thumbs down, but I'm not super thrilled. Okay. Because the the Jaguars had a great draft by all accounts, it seems like. Um, you, the Titans, most people love the Titans draft. We all just assume Chris Ballard is a magician and the Colts are going to come out with another superstar like Darius Leonard. Uh, this time it's probably going to be that corner under the temple in the second round. He's just a bruiser and it's just going to be like, oh, teams didn't throw at him all year and blah, blah, blah. Great tackler. And then I'm going to see the PFF graphic of the steal of the draft. Um, the dude, um, what's his name? He has a interesting name. Uh, yes. Um, we, we just know how that's going to go for, for, uh, Indianapolis this year. But, um, yeah, I, I think Houston really needed to nail this draft, uh, with the level of competition in that, uh, division and just the clock is ticking on keeping, um, Sean Watson upright and keeping uh, DeAndre Hopkins happy, um, as the, the just, uh, oh, let's just fucking throw it up and, uh, <laughs> he'll save us again. Um, it's a good strategy sometimes, but, uh, we also saw in the playoffs it can, uh, can, it can be a problem. Um, last thing, and then we'll get out of here. Are we sure Tyree Jackson shouldn't start over Josh Allen in week one? I think we're sure. I think you look at Josh Allen and his accuracy woes. Imagine that, but like four times worse with Tyree Jackson. He's a big-armed QB that can make you know all the throws on the field from a distance standpoint, but the dude's accuracy is bad, very, very bad. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to bag on anybody. I'm not trying to drag a player's skill set down. When you compare him to the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL, he needs to improve significantly. The amount that I don't think is possible from an accuracy standpoint to be a capable starter in the NFL. The guy can receive Hail Marys all day. Maybe if Cam Newton's shoulder goes down, they put him in instead of Taylor Heineke if he was on the Panthers. But this isn't a guy that you want starting anytime soon. And to improve at the level of actually he needs to improve to start in the NFL, it would take borderline miracles. And I know it sounds like I'm ruining this guy, but that's just where, you know, from an objective standpoint, that's where I stand with his accuracy. I just do not see him being a capable starter from an accuracy standpoint. He's a wow player. He'll scare you with how deep he can throw the football, but I just do not see him winning in the NFL because of those accuracy concerns. I lied. I have one more thing. Drew Locke, is he actually going to be the, the John Elway quarterback pick that works out for him? I, I like the pick from where they took him, and I think he's with the guy that your best, the best Joe Flacco, let's say Super Bowl winning Joe Flacco, is the best Drew Locke. He's a great football player. He has a rocket arm that can shoot Emmanuel Hall, who I don't know why he got undrafted, but he, he was great with Emmanuel Hall at Missouri. And Drew Locke, with good weapons in Denver, could play well. I think the concerns with him are you know, in, in a clean pocket. Does he make the best decisions? His decision-making is questionable. He has the big highs, low lows. The comp we had for him was Jay Cutler. You know, swinging Jay Cutler was great. He was that good with the football mostly. If he had the ball downfield, made big plays, but his lows, we're low. And I think with Drew Locke, it's very similar. Okay. There you go. You you heard it here first. The the quarterback situation in Denver. It's solved. Joe Flacco to Drew Locke. <laughs> everything's going to be great. They're going to win the division and all kinds of great stuff. Austin, thank you so much for taking the time. I learned a lot. Um, what can we uh, look out for you from Pro Football Focus uh, for the rest of this week? That's great. I think today we dropped top 10 undrafted free agents. I wrote that one. That was exciting. You know, guys were getting signed elsewhere. We feel good about Tim Coney going to the Oakland Raiders. Go ahead and check that out. And then today, Mike Renner also dropped 2020 draft players to watch. I think he dropped Chase Young, the Ohio State ex defender, is a freak. I am so excited to see him play this year. He was he led the nation in pressures as a sophomore. I think he was 19 
watch this kid next year, watch him enter the draft as a junior and blow up the NFL. He's exciting. Also, Jalen Rieger, TCU wide receiver, that isn't getting talked about now, but just you wait until he burns another couple of receivers next year and he becomes a consensus first-round pick because those are two names I really like a lot. Him, Darnay Holmes is, another, is a corner for UCLA that is a freak athlete, a little smaller, but a freak athlete. Got a lot of good names on that 2020 players to watch article and more to come. I think just go to Pro Football Focus as much as you can. I know that sounds biased, but we do have a lot of content coming out well this week, and I'm excited to see it. All right. Sounds great. I read it every day. Go read Pro, Pro Football Focus if you do not already. It's great. Austin, thank you so much, and uh, we will talk again soon, man. Sounds great. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.